You know, Halloween's on a Monday this year. It's okay. I'm going to like four separate Halloween type events over the course of October, so I don't I don't know if I need actual Halloween night to be. You're gonna be thoroughly spooked out by the time October. I'm so right? spooked right now. <laughs> There's a skeleton inside you right, right now. now. Oh my also, god. Also, you're full of blood. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 265 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee! Hello, Chris. And we are also joined by our good friend, I think referenced many times on the podcast, but never guesting until now, Alan Swan, fresh off of an RCQ win, playing some Breach Magic. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. About to say, my name's been dropped enough. I'm finally in here. Yeah, we finally picked the name up. Remember Alan from such hits as maintaining the spreadsheet that is the only way that I ever like know about an RCQ ahead of time, <laughs> uh, owning the Breach deck that multiple people top eight or win RCQs with in our area, but, you know. But Alan has been kind of the RCQ end boss around here this, this season, finally picked up one, so we're going to spend some time to talk with you about Breach today and about your tournament, but... Before that, we you know we, we got all our pioneer stuff to get through. So hopefully, oh, yeah. hopefully you don't mind sticking around for that. Oh yeah, I need I need the information. How much of a, a pioneer person are you? Because I know you're mostly moderning for RCQ season, but there have been a couple. I haven't played pioneer. pioneer. I think since I think I played one more pioneer RCQ after that initial weekend. We were playing like is it prowess way back at the beginning. Of season one, mm-hmm. I played Is It Prowse one more time to like a top uh, a top eight, and then I haven't touched the format other than that. I would definitely would not recommend Is It Prowse, um, although there's some <laughs> there's some cool stuff that people have been trying with um, whatever that new uh, wizard that like prowesses your team. Belmore. Yeah, yeah. I also would not recommend Is It Prowse generally, um, but good. This will be a solid way for you to stick your feet back in as we work through uh, this weekend's results and some of the stuff that I have been thinking about while playing more and more Pioneer on Modo. Really just looking at the two challenges this weekend, there was uh, another paper tournament, uh, a legacy tournament, but I like looked at the results and both did not completely understand the tournament structure of it, and also there were a bunch of deck lists missing on Melee. So I'm going to not count that tournament and we're just going to look at the challenges since we actually have data from those. Yeah, Legacy the organizer, not Legacy the yeah. format. <laughs> wow, is that confusing? Is that a little bit confusing and probably something that shouldn't exist? I don't know, but it's worth clarifying. <laughs> it is, every time. I Every single time. I keep seeing tweets about like the Legacy modern turn, and it's just it just throws me every single time. So just the challenges. Yeah. Just challenges. Yeah. Although the Sunday one is a showcase challenge, so, you, you know, give a little more weight to that one or at least understand that 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 displays uh you know a lot of strong players in that tournament uh that one was i I believe nine rounds of of people really really trying because this is one of the monthly showcase so 
taking a look at Saturday, I think one of the big stories is in the wake of the mocks, Is It Phoenix has started to reemerge as an actual deck in the format and you know, making its presence at least a little bit at the top of the format, winning the Saturday challenge, uh, also made two top eight appearances in the showcase. I have been playing this deck and I, although the Rakdos matchup is not great, I don't think it's as bad as has been advertised. And generally Phoenix is very good against every deck that's trying to beat Rakdos specifically. And sometimes that's a really good spot to be in. Have you played against the mono white like Yorion piles, the 80 card mid-range stuff as Phoenix? I have kind of curious how that would go out. I have not felt them to be a problem. Like most of the matches that I've played against them, I felt very, very far ahead. And I think it may depend on specific composition of like what are their answer cards? Are they playing rest in peace? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of times it's just like they put on a mopey clock and then their heavy hitters are cards that don't really matter against you is is kind of what I found. Yeah, I I think a lot of that may be some inertia too. Mm-hmm. Like the the sixth place list in the Saturday challenge is playing Sun Gold Sentinel, which is a, like a nod to Phoenix existing in the format again, because that's a, that's an ETB exile a card in the graveyard card yes and uh one of its primary removal spells two in the main deck and two in the sideboard is vanishing verse which i think is one of the big impetuses to be black rather than red in this deck and vanishing verse i think is a kind of a transformative type of removal spell to be playing for a matchup like phoenix so i haven't i've only played one match against this version with phoenix they I don't know. They just like played creatures and then died. So I imagine that matchup <laughs> could go differently if they draw differently. Sure. Okay. No big deal. I was just curious. We played against it a couple times or something like that. Yeah. I. I mean, and I've played the the mid range decks, and I I think that there definitely is something there. Like these these are strong decks. I don't know if it's just like I, I don't have a big enough sample size, but I've generally not felt scared while playing against these decks as Phoenix and and kind of rolled over them. No, yeah, it makes sense. I, because the deck doesn't interact with you all that well unless it's drawing specific cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels like kind of like a like a, a high floor style of deck. Yeah, where their cards are like pretty good. Yeah, no matter how they draw them, exactly for, mo- for the most part. And I think it occupies a similar spot in the metagame to like enigmatic incarnation and niv mizzet and that sort of thing where they're bigger and heavier value engines and do very well against rakdos but have not quite solved the mono green problem yet and particularly have not solved a treasure cruise problem which is often more devastating for this type of deck yeah okay we are seeing a little bit more atarka red pop up i think doomwake top aided both of these tournaments if i Am I remembering correctly? Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Just second in the Saturday one. I did, didn't make it into yes. the top 32 of the Sunday mm-hmm. one. Okay. But I did know he played both days with the same deck. Because, yeah. you know, once you hit second in the first you tournament, gotta run it you back. might as well just roll it up again. Exactly. Yeah, this, <laughs> yep. This deck looks pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think this is a pretty solid list. Just a lot of one-drops. Bomat Courier, one of my favorite red one drops of all time making an appearance atarka's command as your beer like game ending spell rather than ember cleave i think this deck is totally fine and unfortunately the rakdos decks have made some kind of specific changes that i think has been one of the things that has led to a little bit of a resurgence of the phoenix deck they they've 
hurt their matchup a little bit there by cutting down on Liliana's, playing some more Kalidas's in spots where Shieldred's used to be. And I think that's directly uh, in response to the rise of some of these aggro decks. They're showing up that matchup a little bit, and that's given Phoenix a little room, you know, make that matchup in the like higher 40s rather than the mid or low 40s for Phoenix. And that just like opens up the playing field a little bit. Though, I mean, that that does come both ways because Hidetsugu consumes all is showing back up in these Rakdos deck lists, which is good against the 14 one drop aggro deck. Yes. And the Phoenix graveyard utilization. Yeah, I wonder, I, it probably is good enough because it, it exiles the graveyard and then turns into a 4-4, and that's just like Yeah, if it, did, if it was a Tormod script, it would be pretty bad, but it does turn into a big creature. Yeah. It is interesting how that matchup plays out. Like, you are, as the Phoenix deck, really, like, the control deck in that matchup, and you're getting beat down, and you're trying not to die before you can, like, leverage your card drawing. And so, like, Hidetsugu consumes all, depending on the game state, would not always be the scariest thing, but it does patch up... One of the problems, which is that Rakdos's graveyard hate is very piecemeal, like one or two cards at a time. So being able to like get it all at a swipe. Yeah, I, I'm into that. Yeah, is there... So other than... I know obviously you have a bunch of the Izzet decks are utilizing the graveyard for, you know, Treasure Cruise, obviously. But is there an actual graveyard deck in the format that like people are worried about? Or is that just... Phoenix is the closest thing you get to a graveyard deck, or maybe uh, Greasefang. Yeah, I think Greasefang is the the real graveyard deck, but yeah. it's also pretty not great. So, you know, <laughs> you if your deck is not suited to dealing, you know, if you have instant speed removal and a decent amount of it, then you don't really need to worry about Greasefang too much. If you're not great at killing a creature at instant speed, then you that that increases your need for graveyard hate to help you out with that matchup. Makes sense. Yeah, other than that, none of the decks really use the graveyard. Other than, like, the Lotus Field decks, one Leer, which is, you know, by the time that's at the battlefield, you're dead. Yeah, if you're if you're rest in peace in Lotus Field, you have already lost. <laughs> <laughs> I need to note, I don't know if this is a mea culpa or what, but Nissa's Defeat continuing to pop up in these Gruel Midrange decks. I continued to be skeptical, but then I did see Willie Adel also registered it finishing 17th in the challenge but good deck builder like does know how to design sideboarding plans and with three nisses defeats in the side of his gruel mid-range elvish mystic lanoir elves deck i will accept that as a vote of confidence in the card and that yeah it's probably like a thing that these decks want to be doing for the mono green matchup uh, i know you were talking about it last week but it seems like they he's gone back and like shaved on sky sovereigns to bring back in Embercleaves, right because wasn't that was it was four sky sovereigns last week i mean uh willie was always on like the last time we saw adel bring this deck in like he was on four Embercleaves to to start with and other people have like changed the deck around but i think you know he's still high on Embercleaves. i'm willing to believe kind of like i was last week that this is to feed this part of a sideboard plan i don't understand that's fair but i don't like there's got to be something better like it's hard for me to believe that you're willing to devote such a specific sideboard card to this kind of plan but like i said i, I just don't i guess i just don't know what it is they do enchant their forests a lot so you know <laughs> they got eight cards that enchant a forest so i you know you can get them uh let's see what else is going on 
Wanted to make sure to mention those like Rakdos changes. Uh, Liliana's just significantly less present in these lists. So if you're a deck that plays these longer games against Rakdos is is out mid-ranging them one of their better tools against you they're they're trimming on a little bit to increase their strength in the aggro matchups so just be aware of that uh multiple mono blue mono blue spirits decks in the top eight of the saturday challenge i i mean i don't like need to read into that too much but the deck is doing better than, you know, my experience. I'm not good at playing these decks, you know, so I, I hate every second of of playing a mono blue spirits deck and I, you know, I'm not going to do it competently. Uh, so Alan may be a better resource for <laughs> playing one of those decks. But yeah, it's it's actually so, kind of funny, right? I know you're more of a spell queller guy, but yeah, like I actually do. So like uh, from just like top down, I actually do like how the mono blue lists like look they look very clean um you never have like any issues with your mana you get to play you know faceless haven which is a big get for sure but i know i funnily enough i probably will not even try spirits when i do testing i just don't want to actually touch the deck anymore after playing it so much in the past so mm-hmm. but it's it's nice to know nice to see it's putting up numbers still kind of like it appears here and not elsewhere. <laughs> but between between Bad Spirits and Mono Blue Spirits, like they, it does pop up pretty consistently. Some some Spectral Sailor deck is is hanging around. <laughs> oh, Spectral Sailor. Yeah, the band the Band Spirits deck's a lot more consistent. Like there's a bunch more copies in both of these challenges, for instance, and we've talked about them appearing all the time in all the other challenges. Mono Blue is more of a oh look, there's mono right. blue deck and there's just two in this top eight this time. <laughs> I think I like the Bant, like if I were to pick one to play, I would probably pick the Bant one just because I think uh, the mo- mono blue as like a deck, I think you're expecting a couple of things to go right with your draws to line up correctly. Where like with Bant, there's still that, but then you also just have collected company if things don't go like exactly on plans to get, get caught back up. Yeah, you're not completely dead if you've fallen behind. Yeah. I, I think that the main reason to be mono blue spirits over something like Bant Spirits or any other like tempo-y or aggressive deck is uh, the mono green matchup is just like borderline unlosable for the blue deck. Like here, I'm looking at this and I always take this with a grain of salt, but the MTG meta matchup matrix where blue spirits has like a 75 percent plus win rate against mono green and if you go over to band spirits again take this with a grain of salt but band spirits is actually disfavored against mono green in this matrix so which you know makes a lot of sense they don't have the main deck counter spells and their only means of engagement is to clock and you know if a cavalier of thorns hits the battlefield that's a problem for them oh god that sounds like a nightmare (laughs) all right now i'm definitely not touching spirits i never want to i never want to have my opponent (laughs) cast a cavalier and i just look at my hand and be like well that's gonna kill me and i have nothing to do about it Well, don't don't even look at your hand. You're running sixty cards that don't interact with Cavalier of Thorns in game one. Yeah, no, so. We're really hoping that uh, that Shackle guys is going to be able to tap it down for the entire game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bounce yeah. it back to their hand with fading hope and just right? hope they don't play it again. Why would they do that? <laughs> you know what isn't in these challenges? If you don't want to talk about anything that is, <laughs> uh, there's only one copy of Mono White in both of these challenges, and it's towards the bottom. Uh, just no mono weight like aggro humans. Mm-hmm. 
just like one in 29th on Sunday and then one in 31st on Saturday. I think there's a little more than that. None in the top eight, certainly. I, I think there's, there's there's a couple of copies, though. Oh, there's a little there's a few more on Saturday that I'm. Yeah, there's three on blind, Saturday. But... And I, I think there's two on Sunday. Yeah. But down to the lower end of the top 32, none in the top eight. And I mean, when all the when the Rakdos decks are switching to like, you know, most of these Rakdos decks have two Kalidas and they have fewer Lilianas, your bad matchup is getting even worse. They're they're tilting their deck to beat you there. And it's still the most popular deck you'll play against. So that's kind of rough. Yeah. Mostly don't have four copies of Extinction Event anymore, but they still have <laughs> multiple copies of Extinction Event. And uh, you're you're the, the cards you're bringing in are not improving your deck more than their extinction events are improving their deck so trying to think of anything else that i noticed here no nothing in particular mono green still just putting up absolutely like tremendous phenomenal numbers at least you know missed the top eight on saturday but still eight copies in the top 32 you're gonna play against this deck constantly uh won the tournament on sunday put 10 copies Jesus. in the top 32 when people are taking a tournament seriously and really want to do well with it and it is mostly strong players mono green is what a lot of players turn to rakdos midrange also quite present copies in both top eights not quite as many in the top 32 and actually appeared a little bit lower in in the top 32s i think rakdos midrange is getting a little more heavily targeted um so still successful still strong but not quite as dominant as we've seen it before mono green though just still just a huge presence in the metagame and and one that you got to be equipped to deal with yeah you'd have to kind of be blind <laughs> to not know that at this point i mean yeah but this is our pioneer breakdown and yeah if, if, if we can't not mention that mono green is there and and tap and nick those for, for 16 mana or whatever if your opponent plays basic forests, elvish mystic on turn one, and you're surprised, <laughs> this is not a good. <laughs> your preparation has been lacking. Yeah. Oh man, I can't beat that. All right. Well, maybe maybe switch decks. <laughs> yeah, it, the deck's just good. It's great. Yep. Another Karuga Fire's appearance in the top thirty-two of the Sunday challenge. I continue not to recommend this deck. What if you just got a pile of Karugas burning a hole in your pocket? I mean, that doesn't do you a lot of good. You only need one of them. Oh. Sorry, Kar well, Karuga okay. speculators. Yeah. Also, one Esper control deck in the top eight of the Saturday challenge. I don't want to read into this too much. Uh, I would say, in general, the straight-up control decks have been extremely disappointing, extremely underpowered. Even blue-white control is finally, like, the... You know, the, the one copy in each top eight has stopped appearing and it is not present in the metagame. Uh, I think the deck is just not good enough and the threats out of like, you know, the, the very flexible threats out of even the Rakdos midrange deck, the control deck is not bigger than the midrange deck. Generally don't recommend playing a, you know, classic blue control deck with Teferi Hero of Dominaria in this metagame. The Esper deck does make a little more sense to me because it's like mostly because Vanishing Verse is so good. <laughs> That's the real thing. Like, have you tried playing Blue White or just any control Drago control deck where your opponent just like plays Fable of the Mirror Breaker and you're just staring at like one for one removal spells and you can't counter it that turn? So you're like, oh, hmm. That's that's this bad. And they get to <laughs> they get to dump their dead removal spells and just like continue playing threats. It's yeah. 
It's a mess. And you have to use a removal spell on the token so they don't get a mana advantage because mana is the most important thing when you're playing a Drago deck. Yep. Also, they just have like five creature lands in their deck and Crooks's. So yeah, it's it's really rough to try to not play a mid range style control deck. Yep. But Vanishing Verse is kind of the thing that helps a lot in this sort of deck. I still wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend. You know, I can't quite get behind playing Esper Control, but I, I I get what's going on here. That's that's kind of it. That's all the stuff that I wanted to point out. Either of y'all notice anything else that we should mention? I scrolled through the lists and I am I'm content. There's a a 13th place Lotus Field deck on Sunday mm-hmm. by Bob49, noted combo player on Magic Online. And really the only thing I noticed that it didn't have is a comma in the sideboard. That's like <laughs> that's my contribution. No commas this time. Unbelievable. Yeah, just I, I just really don't know what to think anymore. What a betrayal. They got that Fae of Wishes. You can't grant it for Zakama, so you can't waste that sideboard slot. There's still a masterminds acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It, yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything important to share. Nothing in particular. We do get... Oh, mm, never mind. The, I was going to talk about Incarnation, but this... that All these decks are always called Four Color Fires of Invention, so you have to like click the list to find out what it actually is. And, and this one is Karuga. Don't play Karuga. <laughs> so I think that's it for our Pioneer section, and we're going to go check in on Modern a little bit. Alan, congratulations on your rcq win i i know you've yeah. been playing a ton of breach i am very excited to see you take one down so welcome uh it's good to have you here to talk about some Thanks. breach with us we haven't talked about or y'all haven't talked about breach enough throughout the last couple months honestly we haven't touched on it we haven't done gone deep on it like since the episode with jesse yeah. which was a long time ago so a couple of new things are going on right now so the list i played on sunday in my rcq i actually decided to play teamer because i saw spider space play teamer in the saturday challenge he ended up going five two apparently because of his cat so he's uh <laughs> 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 wait, wait, was Cats winning for him or losing for him? Well, the, his cat lost him or made a misclick one of the games to get a second loss that he should have won. So, but uh, there was also. See, like I a- actually just blame my cat whenever I lose any game of Magic the Gathering. <laughs> like when I, you know, just lose at a paper RCQ, it's. It was the cat. It was just distracted. Couldn't, yeah. <laughs> couldn't get it there. Simon, I just can't believe you would interfere with my match in this way. How dare you? And then it's never my fault. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the onus uh, around like playing Teamer over Jeskai is obviously you get access to Ren and Six. We Everyone knows what that card does, and it's really dumb, especially when you're playing uh, Urza Sagas. And it changes the matchup spreads a little bit. Ren and Six is, makes your uh, Murktide matchup a lot better. It helps against Yawgmoth just pinging off of their X1s against Scam, which is starting to pick up a lot. Um, I actually played against it uh, once on Sunday, it helps as one recurring Urza sagas to, you know, outgrind them. And then two, just having another answer to a turn one Ragavan, if you're on the play is, is really great. Jury's still kind of out on if Teamer is actually the, as good as Jeskai. I'm still not convinced. Rin is a great card, but like the deck doesn't play Ledger Shredder cause you don't have room for it. Although I want to test shaving some copies of things around and, you know, trying Ledger Shredders and Teamer. But it kind of boils down to this. This is the a simple simple explanation of the different Breach decks, right? You have the green-red one that uh, Spike has been playing with, obviously, Renin 6, Experimental Synthesizer. It's on DRCs. And then it 
has like more burn. It has like multiple copies of Gal Blast. And Gob- Goblin Engineer, I think, is the, the main draw to that. Yes. Deck. <laughs> Forgot about that too. So you get to play less actual grinding stations. I think his list were usually playing one or two. And so yeah, you can actually just play a reasonable magic card and goblin engineer, I guess, over grinding station. And you gives you access to the like loops with experimental synthesizer. So that's aggro combo. Just guy. Is more, I would call it tempo combo. You have the draws where you go like turn one, Ragavan into turn two to fairy, which helps uh, against one of your worst matchups or collection of worst matchups, which are the Cascade decks. And then you have the teamer one with Ren and Six and, you know, maybe an extra removal spell. So that one's more like, plays more like a mid-range deck. The breach plus like bolt kills happen a lot less because you're not clocking your opponent as quickly in the teamer one. You make up for that by having the late game plan of just recurring Urza Saga every turn. And uh, that usually gets there as long as your opponent's also not doing something that goes over the top of that. Going over the top of that and maintaining your combo. Exactly. that's still the threat. Yeah. yeah. There's still some things that I need to test. And I think more people are going to be trying Teamer now after like this weekend because of Spider Space trying the deck out. And then I think a bunch of people wanted to try Teamer after Spike had been playing Green Red. So I think you're going to see more experimentation with it. Um, there are downsides, though, to the Ren and Six. It makes your the mana is like kind of awkward in your 21 land Urza Saga double colored pip two drop deck so yeah, yeah. It makes some of the sequencing can be a little right you can't I mean and this is true for all Urza Saga red and six decks but you can't get your Urza Saga like ticking down before you cast your red and you know like yeah depending on sequencing and stuff but it doesn't curve super naturally no, yeah. One thing um, that I, I don't think I've really heard anyone talk about this, but one realization I had recently with Breach, you know, when you have Urza Saga in your hand on turn two, you're like, your instinct kind of, for most people, is just to play it on turn two. Um, but I've been finding with Breach, like if you're, if you look at your hand and it looks like you're probably going to have to win fairly this game, mm-hmm. or that's how your hand uh, goes. If you have a second non-Urza Saga land, a lot of times it's better to play that. Um, so then like on turn three, you can do more stuff with your mana. And also Urza Saga and Expressive Iteration, the sequencing there can get a little bit awkward. So I've been finding more and more holding Urza Saga till turn three ends up working out because you always have stuff to do with, you know, like all your mana. You have a bunch of cheap spells, but... It also, your Urza Saga is a lot better when your opponent has to deal with the threats you already played and the Urza Saga constructs exactly. as opposed to just... All right, my turn two is players of Saga and one thing. So yeah. now you have free reign to deal with the constructs. Exactly. Exactly. I definitely want to spend some time in a bit going over, you know, tips like that. Just like stuff that you've picked up playing the deck that you think might not be intuitive to people. But maybe we kind of run through your tournament a little bit first and just how the RCQ went at what you played against. Like kind of I, I, I am also interested in just, you know, starting to get a grip on what modern looks like after the Yorion ban. Uh, I know a local RCQ is not necessarily like, oh yeah, this is now the meta game, but any reports <laughs> from the trenches are certainly welcome. Tell us about your day, Alan. Yeah, right. tell us about your, relive your your RCQ winning experience. I think that that is a fair thing to, to, to allow you to do. Right, I, I appreciate it. Also, funny thing that I didn't even realize until like the day after, it's actually the first Magic tournament I've ever won, period. Because usually 
split like top four, top eight. Never really like care about actually winning because there's nothing on the line, usually other right. than more money. But if you split, it doesn't matter. So yeah, this is this is the first my first actual win. So it's exciting. This is a funny story, by the way, because I knew that as well. <laughs> and I knew it on Sunday. Yeah. Because you'd complained about it to me like two or three weeks ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was talking. Yeah, I was talking Lee's ear off when we were in Charlotte uh, one night. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So my day started out. Round one was against Yogmoth in the hands of Max, uh, a local that we all know. One two zero. Renan six was excellent there, just like slowing him down, killing Ignoble Hierarch in both games. And then also, oof, yeah, just just one of the risks of playing Ignoble Hierarch generally these days. <laughs> yeah. And both games were pretty close. He, he kind of flooded out both games just a little bit. The Urza Saga construct plan got there. Just you want to put enough pressure on them so they can't like they don't have enough life when they're trying to combo off. So they can't draw into the, the rest of the combo when they you know start going off. So it's really great to pressure them. So I think game one, I had the curve of Ragavan into Renin six. And so I was able to get a little early pressure there, then get Urza Saga going and they were able to get like across the finish line quick enough before he could assemble, you know, the actual combo. Does that matchup feel better in a Renin six version? Or like how, how does it feel in the regular version? Is it like kind of even or are you a little behind? I think you're a little bit behind because the, the games play out slightly differently. Having Ledger Shredder or if you're playing a version that's still playing DRCs. So you have some way to like pressure in the air. But if it's with Ledger Shredder, sometimes it's not that quick. Uh, like mm-hmm. how much damage you're dealing. The old Ledger Shredder Urza Saga deck problem. Yeah, sometimes that thing never gets a counter on it. So it's just a 1-3. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely helped out there. One of the post-board game plans or what you should be leaning into, I think, is like the Urza Saga plan, actually, because they're going to dilute their deck, bring in cyborg cards. They're going to bring in more copies of Endurance. They're going to bring in Force of Vigor. Uh, Max was playing Unlicensed Person in the sideboard as well, so that's another card you got to worry about. They also have Necromentia. You're probably not comboing in the sideboard games, and so the best way to like kill them generally is Shadow Spear plus Constructs, because mm-hmm. no matter how many little dudes they have you're still going to trample over so yeah that's yogmoth round two i played against amulet that matchup's uh, kind of a coin flip we're both racing to see who combos first i won the die roll in game one and so i got to go off before he got to go off yeah just as commentary we have a lot of yes. players. I, <laughs> I, I, so I, I played against Amulet twice, uh, once in the Swiss and then in my top eight match. So, yeah, we have a lot of uh, Amulet. That matchup, I think a lot of people have talked about how that matchup goes. I don't know if we really need to spend much time on it, uh, on it but uh, Aether Gust is great there. I did get to go Aether Gust or Titan and then sacrifice a grinding station to mill them. Oh, um, brutal. And, and hit... After they put it on top. Yeah. yeah. And I also hit a second yeah, yeah. A primeval titan in the, the three cards. I'm like, oh, we're just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Played against Red Black Scam, and I think I got very lucky. They mulliganed to six, kept a one lander that with the scam part of the deck, you know, they griefed, and then they never drew a second land until like probably turn six or seven. Um, and so Urza Saga was great there. And also because I'm playing Grape Shot instead of Thassa's Oracle for my win condition, I decided to bring old uh, Gigantha uh, back to the sideboard. And it, it <laughs> actually won me both games. Just being a 5-5 that's not fatal pushable and putting a Shadow Spear on it to race, that's how both games played out. 
Like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So that like, I think I don't think Giganta's great in breach, but I think if you expect to play against a lot of redback scam, I think it actually helps the matchup quite quite a bit. Just having an extra five five that they can't take out of your hand on turn one. So. Yeah, and the scam deck is really making itself known in modern these days. Like that's that's a deck that you're very likely to play against at least once in an RCQ that that you play locally. Yeah. So that's what I know. I am uh, I'm a grape shot apologist. I really like grape shot on the deck. Everyone else seems to like Das's Oracle, but this is getting Giganta is like an actual reason to play grape shot. So round three, I played against Living End. He was a little bit unfamiliar with the breach deck, and so game one. I had this really sick turn. So the setup is he had already cast a living end and he had a couple dudes and he attacked me in the air, putting me to a low life total. Like I'd be dead next turn. And he had Striper Riverwinder. I had only one land because my, the two other lands I drew were Urza Saga, a treasure and a Springleaf Drum, and then two constructs. He was at 11 and they were both 8-8s. Eight um, and I have Shadow Spear and, and Aether Spellbomb, which is important to the story. He plays Grief post-combat to take the last card out of my hand or try to take the last card out of my hand. It's a galvanic blast. And so I, I sit there and tank and I'm like, all right, I know if I draw land, I can go activate the shadow spear, activate Aether spell bomb to bounce the striper Riverwinder and attack for one over lethal. I would attack for 12 because I have to use my treasure to cast this galv blast right now. So I'm like, all right, I think I feel lucky. I'm going to just try to rip the land and then kill him. Um, so with the grief trigger on the stack, I galv blast the, the grief and then untap draw. It's a land. I play it, activate the shadow spear, bounce the striped river winder. Cause it doesn't have hex proof anymore. And then attack for 12. That was a fun little thing. Just like shadow spear, but not the ability. Yeah. To use well, that's it. what, cause I said, I said, activate shadow spear. And then, um, and then, uh, I, I go, all right, activate Aether spell bomb, bouncing your striper river runner. He's, he's like, it has hexproof. I'm like, oh no, no I activated no, no, the no. other, uh, the other ability. I only, I only paid one for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that was a close one. And then, um, he crushed me game two, you know, cause the living in matchup is not, is not good. Right. Uh, no matter what version of breach, like you can maybe, uh, kind of scam them out with the Jeskai version of going to turn two to fairy, but they also might have force, but yeah. And then was able to combo against him in game three when he kind of tapped out, not thinking I could kill him. He destroyed a, a grinding station early in the game when he could have saved the with a Force of Vigor, when he could have saved it for the combo turn. So just a little unfamiliarity with the matchup, which still happens with Breach, but it happens less often now that people, it's on people's radar. Yeah, the, the curse of the like new-ish combo deck becoming good is, <laughs> oh no, people... Some people actually know what's up nowadays, right? It also just shouldn't happen local to us because you've been <laughs> yeah, right. like the finals. You got to beat Alan if you're going to win the tournament. So <laughs> I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to teach everyone, but yeah, they. <laughs> and then played Amulet again in top eight. Uh, this player also seemed a little unfamiliar with Breach, and so I think they took some lines that just left them dead. Game one, I killed him with Urza Saga beats. They kept a slow hand that didn't have like amulet. And then I was able to just, they attacked me with a big Titan. Um, I didn't die. And then I cracked back to kill them after killing the, like drawing a removal spell to kill the Titan. Game two, I comboed off and they were going to kill me the next turn. So I'm like, all right, you could have Besaju, but I'll combo off and see if you you have it. They didn't have it and they died. So one second, I want to interrupt that because... 
I got there at the beginning of game two. Like I, I, that's when I got to the store. And Kenny was also in the top eight. So I started watching Kenny's game because he's playing. I've watched Alan a million times. And Alan was going through like his combo turn. And Quinn had already come up to me and told me, hey, or I asked how Alan was doing. He's like, well, he's comboing off and his opponent has nothing. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless Alan is very dumb, which he's not, He's just going to win this game. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then I'll, I'll just keep yeah. watching Kenny. Then. <laughs> and there was an interesting thing that game. So I could have tried to go for the combo the turn before, but I had Aether Gust in hand and only four mana passed with Aether Gust up if they have Titan and he didn't have Titan. So then I untapped, uh, sacrificed the Mox Amber to a, um, a grinding station while floating to mana and then replayed it off the Emery. So then I was able to get like up to six mana and able to hold up Aether Gust for if they had had like endurance or force of vigor. So that was kind of like the only decision I think I had that game was go for it the turn before or the turn I ended up going for it with Aether Gust back up. That was my top eight. No one else wanted to go to Anaheim. The top four we were talking, they're like, who wants it? And I, and I raised my hand. So then we, you know, negotiated a, a split that made everyone happy. And so, yeah, now I am the owner of one official championship top eight pin that, also has an alter, alternate reality thing that I didn't even know about until I looked in the box that it comes in. Kind of cool. Interesting. <laughs> Did you get the lanyard too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's a little lanyard that says, you know, <laughs> champion. And, uh, I'm like, I'm never wearing this thing. There's no way. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, you've already got a fanny pack, so. Yeah. You, you could definitely accessorize with it. Ooh, okay. See, now we're, all right. All right, I need to bring back the uh, the fanny pack American flag romper that I did for. <laughs> it, it really hurt the high fashion. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a tournament, basically five uh, zero to league. But hey, all the qualifications are the same. So, <laughs> and that is for the next regional championship, which mm, we have. We don't. Who knows where that is? Yeah, they apparently Prob- probably Anaheim, yeah. but not officially yet. Yeah, exactly. They haven't even. And it's not even posted on the DreamHack main site yet. I mean, we still don't have details about like the the side events or really the LCQs or what y'all that have queued for the first one for Atlanta in a month still don't have any of those details. It's like, all right, it's coming this week. Well, when? Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's already Wednesday. Like, there aren't that many yeah. days in the working. That's what, there's um, there's an ongoing thing in the, the Discord for the DreamHack. Every day, this uh, one person, they keep posting. They're like, they start with day one. Still wondering when uh, an admin is going to post the side event schedule. And then day two and day three, they get progressively more into the bit. <laughs> I can't wait till it gets to like day, like the day before uh, the event. And we still don't know anything, but hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do plan their trips. A lot of people go to events for the side events. And I think we just have no idea if this is the type of event that anybody you know, maybe we'll just have to like let this one happen and then people will know if they want to plan trips to like future regionals. Yeah. Based on that. Right. Because uh, I mean, I also get the feeling that. Sorry for cutting you off. You no, I, I, I mean, it's probably mostly just regionals and not a lot of other magic stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like the magic stuff is kind of like the side, a side thing yep. for them mm-hmm. for the main dream hack stuff because they've got a million events going on at that thing. And magic is just one of them, and it's probably not even the most important. Yeah. Oh no, I don't think it, it's. Maybe it cracks the top five, right? Like, 
I mean, Wizards has given them a lot, presumably a lot of money. I don't actually yeah. know. But they are in charge of running the whole North American thing. Well, you can tell that they've put a lot of resources into it. So Yeah, uh, and when, what, the, what are the details that they sent you again? I don't remember. Oh, maybe they haven't put any resources into it. I guess I get this. I get my <laughs> things mixed up, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing we really know right now is there will be the I know the two main side events. They, they talked about those. There's a limited. Uh, it'll be Brothers War limited one day and then which if you're a competitor, you might just want to play in to get, to get, get cards. cards for the main. Yeah. Well, it's well, it starts on Saturday. I don't think those start on Friday or Oh, it starts yeah, on I Saturday. Think, yeah, oh, they have a sucks. Pioneer one and uh, yeah, a Bro Limited one, which I'm gonna love. I there, love they made the set code Bro. Uh, by the way, there are yes, <laughs> I am also a fan of that for sure. Um, there are LCQs on Friday, yeah. which you know, may- maybe you're like buying up people's prize wall tickets so that you can get some Dominaria United products to hopefully finish out your deck. For I, I'm just glad that it's Pioneer and not a standard tournament release weekend. Oh god. Very very possibly I will be playing a deck that requires zero DMU cards. I mean fingers crossed. Yeah. Or or zero brothers war cards. Bro. Yeah. Bro, bro cards. Hopefully I'm playing a deck that requires zero bro cards. If I do need some. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to got to get there Friday and start grinding else. Yeah, especially if it's like here's the like two mana enchantment for phoenix that like fixes the rakdos matchup the those won't be those won't exist they will have disappeared from the site so there's probably not going to be i don't know what the situation of vendors is like at or yeah no we don't know any of this stuff it's not going to be that's what i can't i i can't imagine they have there's probably not going to be much space so if there is a vendor it vendors there might only be like one or two if any i'm going to do the the old like map out LGSs on the way on the drive and see which ones have stuff that we can hit up on the way there. That's smart. Or just yeah, hit up the people doing the limited LCQs. Which funnily funnily <laughs> yes. enough, uh, I've seen people talking about this. It's it's definitely better like EV for your time to do the Pioneer LCQs because uh, I think you just have to four O the Pioneer LCQ. So four hours, right? Where the limited ones you have to. 2-0 in sealed, and then there's going to be a top eight draft. So it's like you're probably it's an hour for drafting and building plus another hour. That for, is a chaotic tournament structure. Yeah. 2-0 into draft. Yeah, because they're they're basically firing the LCQs on demand as soon as the door, or at least what they're saying is as mm-hmm. soon as the doors open, once they get 32 people for an LCQ, it's firing. That's going to be interesting. Kind of, it's kind of wild that the. Uh... <laughs> the conceit for a regional tournament is tournaments that have happened you know all throughout the country for months and months and months and also just as many locals as we can cram into these yep. on-demand tournaments yep. <laughs> which i don't really have a problem with i don't mind yeah. it's just weird so i don't think if there's anything else about dreamhack i mean we don't we don't know anything yeah. else right it's all just wait wait and see side note the i guess y'all saw that the first pro tour got moved from charlotte to philly which stinks for us I know. Uh, it's good for a lot of people yeah. but yeah i was looking forward to being able to drive two hours to the pro right tour. <laughs> though it is still unknown when yeah. that's happening right Who knows? so <laughs> right. and i also wonder is it going to be in philly or is it going to be at the the mecca of magic see that that's that's a star city 
games thing to have it at the uh, casino resort. The Valley, Valley Forge, Forge Casino, casino yeah. Resort. But maybe. You never know. I mean. <laughs> That's not. No. It, no one should ever have to fly to Philadelphia and then drive to King of Prussia. <laughs> to a King of Prussia, <laughs> Pennsylvania. They got a big mall. There's. There's a big mall. Oh, I, the biggest. There's just a really yeah. big mall. I remember there. getting lost in that mall the last time I was there. It's just so ginormous. We were we were trying to go get something for dinner, and I guess we picked the wrong side of uh, of the mall. We were literally on the a complete opposite end of where we were trying to go. And then we walked three miles <laughs> to the yep. other side of the mall. The entire mall. The mall was open when we were leaving dinner and closed by the time we got back to yep. our cars. So that's that was the situation. <laughs> Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit more about your thoughts on Breach in the metagame going forward? I mean, this is a deck that has picked up and up and up in popularity. Good players continuing to do well with it. Where do you see it in the metagame? Uh, you know, in this new metagame in particular with no Yorion. I don't know what difference that seems to be making so far. And then certainly like any of those little tips and tricks and unintuitive things for playing the deck. Definitely love to hear about all of those. Yeah. So I do think, so the Urion ban, I think is overall net negative for Breach, but not by a lot. Four color was a favorable matchup for Breach. You know, they just, they don't clock you and they have very few ways to interact with the combo. Four counter spells and 80 cards, they might just not draw it, right? There's still people playing four color. I saw multiple people, you know, trying out Kahira four color um, at the RCQ on Sunday. So people will still be playing it, but just in less numbers. Slight negative, but I still think the its overall place in the metagame is still where it was before for the most part. You're generally a dog to the Cascade decks of kind of any variety um, because they have such efficient interaction. And, and they kill you back yeah, really fast. Yeah, exactly. That's what, like, living in living in is probably the worst matchup, in my opinion, because Grief plus Force Negation plus kill you on, like, turn four or five is generally pretty good against the deck. Rhinos is a little bit better especially if you're on a version playing Ledger Shredder, because I, I think Ledger Shredder flipped that matchup completely. It just gets bigger than the Rhinos in all of their removal. Yeah, like, I know a lot of my games against Rhinos post Ledger Shredder will come down to, I have a big Ledger Shredder and I put a Shadow Spear on it and they can't race it and they die. And gotcha. you very rarely, like I'm boarding out multiple pieces of the combo against Rhinos and you're just going for Urza Saga, Ledger Shredder, combo deck, or not combo deck, but you know, mid-range deck. Combo deck in the Jund sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> and and Rhinos these days is a leyline binding deck. Yes. So that may change the equation a it, little it bit. It does. Yeah. I, I definitely the new versions of Rhinos, the not teamer, but the four color versions that are playing Leyline are definitely the matchup definitely doesn't feel as good as it used to. And I think it might now now I think it's back to an unfavorable matchup because of Leyline binding. They just have so mm -hmm. many efficient ways to interact with the combo now between having the force plus leyline binding on the turn you go off. Um plus, you know. Two four fours kills you really quickly. I'm trying to think if there's anything else as far as like metagame goes. Um, but what do you? So what do you like love playing against with the deck? You know, what are its best matchups that you know? If this is what's going on in your local area, then you should be playing this deck. One of the big ones, I think, Burn is actually a favorable matchup. Ross uh, has talked about he thinks the matchup's terrible. I don't get it. You're an Urza Saga Shadow Spear deck, which if you're playing sideboard Shadow Spear, makes a lot more sense. Like you just give up game one against Burn and then hope to do that the next game. Which is a, you know, tradition, like a 
an archetypical bad plan is lose game one and then yeah. board up for game two and three is like generally just a losing plan because something will go wrong. Yeah, in one of and, those and games. I think a big thing with why like the burn like I think the burn matchup is favorable because you have your Shadow Spear Urza Saga deck plus Ragavan is actually insane against them. If you flip any spell, you're like way ahead, and there's always the loom uh, the looming threat of all right, I'm just going to flip a lightning helix from you, and then the game ends on the spot. Um, and also, yes. <laughs> uh, I've probably equipped Shadow Spear to Ragavan more than any other person. That also is just like a plan that comes up a lot uh, against Burn. And even if they trade with it by blocking, you're like way ahead. You're getting a card. You're gaining three life, which is another card against them. Still getting a treasure. So yeah, I think Burn's actually favorable as long as you kind of play and sequence correctly. You got to make sure to not take too much damage for your mana base, which can be tough in the Urza, the three color Urza Saga decks. But I think generally you just match up pretty well against them. Um, and in the sideboard games, you basically should just like shave down on the combo a lot and just become uh, an Urza Saga, Ragavan, you know, mid-range deck. Also, I do think mm -hmm. Jeskai is probably better against Burn than Teamer or Gruul, just because Ledger Shredder uh, becoming a 2-4 is unkillable. And then you kind of have the battlefield locked down from there and you just have to worry about actual Burn to the face. So yeah, that matchup's uh, favorable. I think Yogmoth with the Teamer version is slightly favorable. With the Jeskai version, I think you're a little bit of a dog because of how good their sideboard cards are against you. But I think you have a better pivot plan with Brennan Six Urza Saga in the Teamer version. So I think that matchup's uh, favorable for Green Red, or sorry, for Teamer. Rhinos and Living End, yeah, like I said, you're still a dog to those. Um, Amulet is a coin flip. Um, in my experience, since you're both kind of playing, uh, you both have your combo game plan and you both have some interaction, very minimal post board. And so like games can get kind of weird, like, you know, how good is, um, all right, I'm going to try to combo you, but then hopefully have a, like a Aether Gust for your Titan, you know, were you going to say something, Lee? Sorry. Yeah. I wanted to say a small thing about the amulet that I think I've noticed. Um, and I, I, might, I think I heard this somewhere too. I just don't remember where that because of how sideboarding, like I, game one against Amulet's a wash in my opinion. It's just like a coin flip. But in game two, you both board up on sideboard cards, but your deck is better at handling sideboard cards into yeah. the main game plan than Amulet is. Like it, Amulet is a deck that needs to assemble specific cards pretty early and mulligan for them. And if they draw those sideboard cards, which they need later in the game, uh, the, it just like doesn't mesh as well, so they're like their percentage points go down sideboarding, even though the sideboard cards are incredibly good. No, I think that's a, a huge part of Amulet just generally is that it's a great deck at mulliganing until it has sideboarded, and then it's very bad at mulliganing. And uh, just one of the the weird bits of that matchup for like most decks in the metagame playing against Amulet. Yeah, like the the less Amulet has to sideboard, the better. Right. Mm -hmm. the yeah, and the cyborg cards they have obviously are uh, extra copies of Beseju. They have Force of Vigor. They have Endurances. And so like two of those requires them to have an extra green card, which sometimes is not the case if they if they just draw a bunch of lands like 
I mean, they're a 32, 31, 32 land deck. That's going to happen. And sometimes they might not have a green card to pitch. Or if they do have a green card, it's either a Summoner's Pact or a Titan. And that's bad for them. You would you love that exchange if they endurance you or force a vigor and pitch a Titan. You're like, okay, sweet. I'll probably just kill you fairly. <laughs> yeah, we'll both do nothing for a little bit. And then I'll... Or yeah. they have to pitch another sideboard card, which is kind of also a wash. Like, okay, I... I got two sideboard cards this time, I guess. The, their best sideboard card um, against you, yes, besides you. So um, if you're ever playing it, like, I think everyone kind of knows this at this point, and I think it's in everyone's sideboard guide that I've seen, but Pithy Needle, always bring that in against Amulet. Um, also, occasionally, if they're on, like, a Karn version, it also hits that. And sometimes you'll see Amulet that plays Unlicensed out of the sideboard as well. So... You have a you have some options to name things, um, but yeah, generally it's just besage you. Now what are you gonna do? Especially in the Jeskai version, you have to fairies. And before, when I was playing Jeskai before and had no main board to fairies, I was boarding them in against Amulet because their only ways to interact with you are on your turn. And so it stops force of vigor, stops endurance. Yeah, yeah. To fairy versus force is really funny. You just can't. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. That card. I remember trying blue red a while ago, and um, since you can't play Teferi, I was playing Defense Grid, and I was playing against Quinn at uh, some tournament, and I was like, I think Defense Grid's actually decent. I brought in one Defense Grid, drew it uh, against Quinn. It was insane. I'm like, okay, if I'm playing Jeskai, I'm just gonna bring in Teferi's. The full lock is the Pithing Needle plus Teferi, and you're like, all right, you have to kill me because you can't interact. Yeah, that's that's really good information. Um, are there any other? You know, little tips, anything, small plays, unintuitive things that have come up. Because yeah. th those are exactly what I'm talking about. Like, those are really nice to hear about because I wouldn't yeah. know those going in without. So one uh, so one big one I don't think some people think about sometimes. Um, so, you know, usually how uh, the setup for how people uh, combo, once they're going off, they're, uh, you know, when the Mox enters the battlefield, it puts an untapped trigger from the grinding station on the stack, right? And generally, everyone will sack the Mox Amber with that untapped trigger on the stack. But if you're if you're expecting your opponent to have some graveyard interaction, like an endurance generally, sometimes it's worth it to let the untapped trigger resolve and then sacrifice the Mox Amber. So what that does, because if you did it the other way and had the untapped trigger still on the stack, your cards will get milled and go to the graveyard. Then they could endurance you before they still have a chance to respond to that trigger. So sometimes it's good, just let the untapped trigger resolve and then just tap it and then it'll untap the next time you play it so that's one little thing that comes up that's when you have a breach in play and this is keeping them from interacting with you before you have another opportunity to cast a spell yeah. probably the box exactly so even if they have the endurance you'll still get three cards in the graveyard from the grinding station activation because that's mm -hmm. they, ha they would have to respond to the grinding station activation um, and as long as you can get like one more card in the graveyard somehow to have four um, then you can kind of combo off. Obviously it gets a little awkward if maybe you mill your, whatever the win condition is. So sometimes you need two extra cards. So maybe a fetch and like one other thing. Although most of the artifacts in that spot just give you extra cards mm -hmm. anyway, but it's just something to keep in mind. You don't always want to, um, have the, the grinding station, like untapping every time you kind of, sometimes you want to do it manual basically. Makes sense. We talked about um, sometimes it's not correct to play your Urza Saga on two and kind of the general heuristic I look at is like, all right, do I uh, do I want to spend my mana to actually do things on turn three or is making a construct on turn three good enough? More and more now, I'm just holding it till till turn three so I can get full value, especially in the fair matchups. In a matchup like Amulet, 
play it on turn two, you're just racing. But any kind of fair matchup, I think you're tr- you try to get as much value from your Urza Saga as possible. And sometimes that requires playing it on the Urza Saga on three. Some unique lines when you're playing the Teferi versions, right? Always be aware if you have like a Teferi minus available, you can always just cast your breaches for value, cast a bunch of baubles, then return the breach to your hand. I think that one's a lot of people know, but just something to keep in mind. Also, you can do the same thing if you have an Otawara in hand. I've done that a couple times. It's really sweet. When you get to Otawara back, your uh, your breach, you're like, <laughs> oh, now we're doing it. That that play is often going to require a, a Mox Amber in the graveyard or something to pull off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ragavan in yeah. play, Emery. Sure. Which sure. that is another nice thing with the Teamer version. You just have more legends, so your Mox Ambers are on way more. And especially in uh, if you're mm-hmm. playing Grapeshot like I am, having a, another red legendary is really nice. Also, another thing, uh, I think when you're playing Breach, always keep in mind your opponent's life total uh, if you have like Breach in hand and like uh, either a Bolt in hand or in the graveyard. Because I think a lot of people will try to lean too heavily into like actually fully going off when they could easily kill their opponent with basically Fireball, which is Breach plus a couple copies of Lightning Bolt. So I don't see people like realizing that as much as I think they should. But Breach plus Bolt is also my favorite like time casting breach. I like that more than actually comboing off a grinding station. Like, <laughs> yes. So and you, faster too. You really have to realize that when you're playing the version with yeah. like four bolts, three galv blasts in it. Like that's, yeah. that's how that's that what deck the, wins the green the red version almost plays game. like watching spike. And then also just kind of my experience. I it kind of functions like how prowess does now. Cause you know, prowess now, if people are playing it, they're like sort of a value aggro deck and, uh, a couple copies of Underworld Breach plus, you know, Lightning Bolts is like their way to like just get over the finish line. It's been two years since Underworld Breach yeah. came out. Well, people are now just like, you know, this card's kind of exactly. good. <laughs> just throw it in their deck. If your deck is built for it, it does a very, oh, yeah, yeah. very good Treasure Cruise impression. Like it's just that it's just what it does is it draws you a bunch of cards. Yeah. Like I've I've had a game against uh, Rakdos Scam where at basically all times my graveyard was sort of like nuked or they are, I would see them about to draw like a Tormod's Crypt or a Hitsugu Consumes All. And I don't have the combo set up, but I have a bobble in the graveyard and a breach. So I literally won a game by casting all four of my underworld breaches and all they were were just draw like three to five cards off a bobble and just like out card advantage the Rakdos deck. It was great. Yes, exactly. And that's why, yeah. And made their um, graveyard hate that. You know, when you're bombing your opponent, always keep in mind, you know, like if they have something like that, then yeah, just go ahead and burn your breach and draw some cards. It'll be fine. You don't, it doesn't have to be like in the game on the spot combo card. It can be a value engine. It can be multiple removal spells, you know, doing its best like fury impression. Um, if you have uh, unholy heat or bolts in the graveyard. So try to think of other mm-hmm. tips and tricks that I don't really hear people talk about. Cause I think, uh, Jesse and Ross have done a real great job just like teaching the community about the deck. And I think all that they've written about uh, is is pretty spot on. I disagree on some like things about, you know, matchups and how those play out and some cyborg things. But overall, yeah, I think if you want to learn the deck, the resources are out there now. Uh, I'm trying to think. You can use Grinding Station and Mishra's Bobble as a fake uh, lantern control type team. Oh, yes. that That comes up too. More than you'd expect. It's just something to be aware of. You, it's a waste of resources some of the time. But it, sometimes your opponent is like this 
really good card or you're on a breach turn and you look at the top card of your deck and then you can mill yourself exactly yeah that that comes up more and more yeah if you have like an extra artifact that you're not using say you have a shadow spear on the on the battlefield and no creature to uh, equip it to yeah bobble yourself if you don't like it just sack another artifact to mill mill that card basically like build your own fetch land plus uh mistress bobble Overall, the uh, the deck's deck's still in a great a place, and I think you know in general playing good the good card mostly good cards deck that also has an infinite combo. I don't think you can go real wrong with it, but I people are starting to know what's going on, so they'll be packing the correct like cards to play against you. Which there's no one good sideboard card against breach, right? It's a problem people have with it, but they'll just be more prepared. Like you'll see if people start picking up scam more and more. Dalty Voidwalker is. Oh, it's so good against the deck. Holy crap. It's, <laughs> every time my opponent plays a Dolly Voidwalker, I'm like, oh, you made my life way harder. Uh, <laughs> so. So, like, one caveat on people becoming wise to a deck that's, like, relatively unknown doesn't matter as much as you may think it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because when people realize that they need to play hate for these combo decks and stuff like that, they'll just evaluate how they're supposed to be playing that hate incorrectly yeah so mostly when decks become a larger share of the metagame the better players get more accustomed to playing against them and play better against them mm. but that's really all that's going to change like your your average run-of-the-mill person who is not going to put in the time and research to figure out how to beat these decks exactly is not going to use their endurances or force of vigors correctly or board the board cards out that they're not supposed to and stuff like that it just i've played these decks so much it just happens all the time like right up until kci was banned people were just boarding in the most heinous game plans against me yeah well that's yeah. and i think the best game plan against breeze is just generally like interaction plus a clock which uh is why i think i don't think the murktide matchup is favorable i think you're basically playing a fair game you trade murktide and Counterspell to play Breach and Urza Saga. Um, and generally, that doesn't line up well against their Murktide and Counterspells. Though, the more Breaches you play against Murktide, the better you are winning. Yes. <laughs> yeah. E yeah. Even if they're just, you know, Mistress Bobbles and not actually, you know, killing killing them. But And I do think the Teamer version's uh, a little bit better than the other versions against um, Murktide, specifically because you have Renin 6 as another answer for a Ragavan, which, you know, if you... If you don't have an answer to Ragavan on turn one against them, most of the time you're probably you're like your chances of winning went down a lot. Is that the final conclusion of the episode? Ragavan's good on turn one. We can all go home. I know. Yep, that's it. All right. Well, it's been nice talking to you. I'll see y'all later. Just deep, <laughs> deep revelations from the MTG Grandcast. Yep. Yeah. That's what we brought on the guest for. Yeah. <laughs> but it is funny the games against Murktide where you're playing the better Murktide deck. You have your Ragavan on turn one and then removal spells for the things that block Ragavan. And then you're just like, wow, this deck's great. And then you flip cards that you can cast from them. And, you know, just doing and it all. Grinding station. And then, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the talking about a million year opponent with grinding station, it, it does come up. Uh, more often than you think splinter twin situation of aether gust plus grinding station is always a funny one another, oh this is another tip i guess if you have a active ragavan on the battlefield and you can like actually attack in to you know make a treasure and get a card um 
try to start thinking about using that treasure as like something to sack to your grinding station if you need to start building up your graveyard because i don't think i see enough people doing that either that's just if you have plenty of mana to do what you want then sometimes it's good to just get an extra three cards in the graveyard and try to set up for the combo and bonus points if you have a bobble lying around you can use the bobble on your on uh, your opponent's deck too the ragavan don't know if there's actually anything really else that's been said or that's not been wait what that, that we say? need wow. to say yeah <laughs> yeah everything else has kind of been you know i feel like beat to death if uh if people want to uh look into the deck and learn how it works jesse but, has a really good article yeah uh, up available uh, if you want to check that out i don't remember what it's called it's probably like the ultimate guide to breach or something in that thing <laughs> because that's basically what it is it, it's super well written and i know she also had an, uh, like a an extra article one like talking about ledger shredder in the deck too and i know jesse uh was talking about she's going to write another article talking about the difference in the breach builds gruel just guy and teamer which like i said it, you can kind of break it down to they're all a combo deck green red is more of an aggro deck the just guy one plays more like a tempo deck and the teamer one is is basically a mid-range combo deck you're kind of some of your draws play out like Jund without discard spells. So, you know, depending on what play style you enjoy, you know, just kind of experiment with the different builds. So awesome. Well, Alan, thank you so much. Definitely appreciate your input and congrats on your RC qualification. Although, you know, that's uh, not, so not going to come in handy for a little bit, but I know. And I have to now I have to learn standard too, which this is by the time Anaheim. Uh, rolls around i we we're definitely having brothers war we'll probably have one more set depending on when exactly for the, one yeah march so, machines is that what it is i don't actually know the order of the sets that's, all will be one is one of them yeah right so i guess i'll have to start playing some standard again i have no idea other than you know meat hook massacre just got banned and black cards are really good that that's all i know <laughs> Ooh, it's a, it's actually the fable the mirror breaker and wedding announcement are really Ooh, good okay uh, the black cards are still really good, though. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say the black cards are still really good. I, I don't know. I am looking forward to having a reason to delve into standard, especially once another set or two comes out. Uh, that will be nice. Hopefully, I get my next RC qualification at this RC because I have not managed to make it out to any RCQs this season yet. But we'll we'll do our best. Yeah. There's only been like two weeks of them, right? I know, but I don't know if there are, I, I have not been paying close enough attention to see what's coming up. I don't know if there's anything this weekend or what. Not in the area. Um the next the next one that's like uh in the R you know, RDU area is at the gathering place, and I think that's on November is it nineteenth or second. There's nothing really I think it's nineteenth, so there, there's well, nothing locally till then. That's uh yeah. regionals weekend, so can't, yeah. can't do that <laughs> there are a couple if you feel like driving out to wilmington cape fear games or collectibles uh not confusing at all two separate stores the river there. is right there i mean <laughs> come yeah. on have you been to roanoke literally everything's called star city uh, fair yeah but there's only one game store <laughs> yeah there are two there's like are there two there aren't two different, there are two are there two different really game stores called star city games no, I, that's the what other I mean. one is changed differently. It's Star City Collectibles. Yes, uh, yeah. Star City Collectibles. <laughs> oh, that's very clear. Yes, yes, yes. No one, yeah, no one would get confused about that. 
There is, uh, funnily enough, talking about standard, there is a standard uh, RCQ down at Cape Fear Games or Collectibles this weekend. So if you felt like putting together a standard deck and probably playing an RC or RCQ with like probably less than 12 people, then I I'd just go to don't that. think I can. I don't think the EV is there to out, you know, the yeah. the cost to of, spend $400 for a standard deck and then to drive, drive to Wilmington, Wilmington and then, yeah, and then still play a tournament. It's like yeah. a lot. I, I would rather just like go to Anaheim and then play LCQs until I qualify. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's aggressive. <laughs> right. I think that's definitely worse. Pro- probably. Anaheim is pretty far away. Plane tickets are crazy. Yeah. Yep. And it, it's funny talking about uh, flights. I I was a grown adult until this year that had only flown on a plane one time, or I guess twice, round trip to Atlanta and back. Mm-hmm. And then I've literally been I've been on a plane like six times in the past like six months just going different places. Ooh, jet uh, setting, moving up in the world. I, I know, I know. I went all the way to Columbus for an SEG. That was that was a fun weekend. But <laughs> look at you growing up. I know. Well, kind of going to Columbus for a magic tournament is maybe not the most, the most grown up yeah. use of a plane flight. Agreed, but it, it wasn't too expensive. Okay. Thankfully, he went to Columbus to check the stocks. You know, wow, up Ooh, stuff. now I'm yeah. impressed. <laughs> yeah, no. but Columbus—that was my first time in Columbus. Columbus is great. Columbus I is, definitely yeah. would. If I'm ever up in Ohio uh, for some reason, I guess I'll, I'll try to stop by Columbus. Uh, all the all the Ohio cities I've been to have been impressive. Yeah, and unexpectedly so. Just, like yeah. even the one SDG they had in Cincinnati, I was like. I really like this place. Yes. This is weird. <laughs> Both Cincinnati and Cleveland were pretty good The uh, for the SCGs I went, which I only stayed downtown, so I didn't like see any of the other part of the city. Maybe that part sucks. Who knows? But downtown Cleveland and Cincinnati are pretty great. Yes. Good restaurants and everything is walkable and it's just generally pleasant. I've always had a, a good time in Columbus and the other Ohio cities, but I don't know that I'll have any reason to go to any of them anytime soon, but maybe mm. maybe maybe they'll start holding nrgs in ohio hopefully but i think a a midwest centered tournament series that like the closest they come to us is ohio is not really gonna be a thing that tempts me into engaging into the system unfortunately i'm wondering how long seg is gonna keep doing seg cons because their turnout for the last couple have been abysmal so i don't know how long they can continue doing these they're like all the events I've heard of, they are not even getting enough attendance at them to actually pay the pro- like for all of the prize payout, which they're not pulling a, a legacy pit. They're actually still paying out all of the prizes, but right. But they're, they're losing money they're, on these things instead of. Yeah. Yeah. Not losing money. Yeah. I always assume with the tournament, they just want to break even pay the costs, like pay the judges, pay for the prizes. And then, you know, and, maybe and just buy a, little... a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of magic cards. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. So. But yeah, they weren't even breaking even. I, I think we calculated they probably lost at bare minimum ten grand on the Columbus one, and that's before like factoring in the cost of renting the actual um, the Is space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jeez. That, yeah, not not judges. Not talking about how just, paying judges. Just that's, prize money versus entry fees. Yeah, it was. Oof. It might have been quite, quite ten grand, but it was like it was uh, up. It was getting up there. <laughs> not ideal. Hopefully, that encourages them to reconsider doing a tour with points and stuff but you know monkey's paw it just yeah. makes them not want to run tournament series anymore yeah kind of they stinks. also 
like progressively fired all the people who cared about that so right yeah. i don't even know if they're like equipped to do it again so we don't know they do who still did have this. video producers and such like that but uh I don't that's know for commander <laughs> <laughs> we'll beg for the scraps that's yeah that's all we can do we're gonna get the star city commander tour oh lord so uh, this is a ran- random thought but do they actually advertise the command fest? Cause I never hear about them until it's like the weekend of, and then cosplayers are tweeting about it. And you're like, where did this come from? Yeah. Like, cause I mean, most of uh, our circle, like doesn't really play commander or doesn't really talk about it to me. Cause I don't like commander. It's just, yeah, it seems out of nowhere. I don't know how people find out about it. <laughs> so they do advertise them. I see them, but I'm also in the space where I see them and I just pass them by. Like, I don't yeah. pay attention to it. Be- and so, therefore, I never think about it and never bring it up. And it just, like, happens one weekend. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's happening. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> I wasn't planning on going. I assume when it when they do announce and advertise that stuff, the people who care about it actually share it and stuff like that. Yeah. Because like, I would I, do the same if it were something I cared about. Some of the locals went up to the one in Richmond, what was it, a couple months ago, and I was like, I just saw pictures of it, and I'm like, oh, there was a, a magic thing? What? <laughs> it also doesn't help me that I get a lot of my information from Twitter, and many uh, Commander community members I have muted for being t- too annoying to me. So I just don't see a bunch of news I would otherwise. Yeah. It, do- it doesn't help me that I have uh, EDH, Commander, and one other word that I can't remember, like, just muted. So... I well that makes it's, it pretty it's just, unlikely that you'll see any advertisement <laughs> of the command that's that, that's fair yeah they have to figure out what language specifically to get it through my uh my blocked words list and they're probably not <laughs> that interested in advertising the event to people who have blocked commander and edh so no. <laughs> one one funny thing i just uh i forgot to mention two of the three people on this call right now are the uh only people that have won rcqs at gamers geekery and tavern so Chris, me and you right now are holding holding down uh, the RCQ titles mm-hmm. from that place. Great. <laughs> so next season, I have to win one specifically there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's kind of wild. I mean, it is right next to my house. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's really easy to go congratulate my friends when they win RCQs there. <laughs> it's right. very convenient if we just keep <laughs> winning there. Yeah, it's extremely conveni- convenient. We get dinner. They drive five minutes back. You know, it's it's the best. Though we didn't get dinner with Alan this time because his we went to go get ramen because we were coming back from a flesh and blood tournament and we were grabbing Kenny to get food and we invited Alan and Quinn and Alan couldn't go because his car battery the you like needed a jump because your car battery was just basically Dead. dying. Yeah, it, and Kenny couldn't jump him because Kenny's car battery was on its way out. It was what Kenny was saying. Uh, I found out today that his car battery did die today. <laughs> he wasn't. So oh, he, he spent most of his lunch buying a new car battery. That was Kenny's day. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it was pretty funny. He told, told me today, guess what happened today? Uh, what? My car died. <laughs> I mean, you're home, so you're okay. But like. <laughs> yeah. I, did, I've, I should have shared the story, but yeah, I had to actually overcome some adversity uh, just to get to the tournament on Sunday. So. I knew uh, my battery was dead, so the plan was, all right, I'm going to get my roommate to jump my car off, and then I'll be able to go grab a battery on the way, and then I should be all good. Get my car jumped from his, but I didn't know if you just close the uh, the door in his car, it's just locked if it's running. 
Um, doesn't matter if it's in park or not. So I locked his keys in his car and we had to call triple <laughs> a to come uh, unlock it and get the keys. And then I had to get him to jump my car off again to get to the tournament. So it was, I almost, I, I was like this close to not going to the event on Sunday. <laughs> I was, I was so frustrated, <laughs> but, but we you channeled all that frustration and just wins. Yeah. Just didn't drop a match. <laughs> it also didn't help that the uh, the day before I went to play a store championship, uh, you know, since it's not for like anything other than, you know, like the Omnath and whatever promos they have and then some store credit, I decided to be a little wacky and I tried to build a uh, Lutri Breach because everybody's just been messing <laughs> a, around with Lutri There's a Lutri wave going right here. Yeah. Area. The only problem yeah, with Lutri Breach really is... Uh, that breach is in the name of the deck and you really can't yeah. not run four copies of it. Well, yeah, I, I thought I had solved that problem by like the night before when trying to brew this. I like I my brain literally exploded when I realized, wait, I can play extra copies of the pieces in the sideboard and that's fine. And then wish for them. So I was playing like a Karn <laughs> and a wish. Oh, God. Yeah, it was so bad. The, the one match I won like. I just won by, I cast like my one of Urza into a Karn and just like constructed them to death. Um, so, but yeah, do not try Luchi Breach for anyone out there wondering. Deck, deck's very bad. And for people wondering how much of an endemic this is, there were four Lutri decks at Thursday Night Modern last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was, like, it was 12 people, so a third on. of the room was on Lutri. Yorian got banned, so Lutri is free. It, it's funny because Lutri is, uh, well, maybe not the best two colors for pitchables, but like being red and blue to pitch to Fury and a Force, I was like, huh, okay, this is something. The problem is you only get to play one of those. Yeah. <laughs> But it is just Once you cute. pitch to the second Fury, you're like, well, hold on. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. It also didn't help that uh, uh, I, I was playing against someone in the store championship. And I have a bunch of like crazy one ofs, you know, like because I have to fill out the deck. So I'm like, I have an experimental synthesizer. I have a bunch of random artifacts and random spells that go with artifacts. Like I had a shrapnel blast in my deck and I got to copy shrapnel blast with Lutri one game. So that was great. Most of the cards were still in Japanese. So like I put experimental synthesizer on the stack and my opponent's like, what the hell does that do? And I'm like, all right, let me just pull up the gatherer text right quick. So it makes a 2-2 samurai with vigilance. Yeah. <laughs> That's a card I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed never turned out. Like, I when that card was free, I'm like, this card looks great. Um, but it just never never kind of worked out anywhere. And I, and I, it makes me sad. But eh, It's an artifact that draws a card. Like, give it yeah. give it a free sacrifice engine. Down the line, it'll be seeing blue. Yeah. Maybe if they ever put uh, Galvanic Blast in Pioneer, then that gives you a reason to play, like, the, the Oni Cult Anvil version of Red Black Sack, which is... Something I've played in modern and was really sweet, but very bad. I see it every now and then with uh, Voltic Surge. Yeah, but it can't go face. That's the problem. Like, yeah. uh, I think I, I like. I don't know if Galvanic Blast would be too powerful, but like no. it. No. But it that deck would have a lot of reach if they had Galv Blast plus Shrapnel Blast plus Onicol Anvil plus you know the cat thing. You know, yeah. Just do a lot of chip damage and your opponent dies. You're just a fancy burn deck. Yeah. Hey, fancy burn decks are the best burn decks, okay? <laughs> anyway, Underworld Breach, bolt, bolt, bolt. Yeah. <laughs> best fireball there is. Because it's all playable cards, yeah. That's that's not bad. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> all right, Alan, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming and hanging yeah, out with no. us. That was a blast. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. Lots of fun. Um, anything else before we go? Uh, I have one last thing to say. Yes. Um, and I will be taking no questions, but uh, I just want to put this on the record. Moe's is better than Chipotle. No questions. All right. No questions. Sorry. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> have a great week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>